today, what we're going to do, we've been doing this for those of you who are visiting. We've been in Mark. We're doing a two-track sermon series in the winter. We're doing Mark, the Gospel of Mark, which we're working through, and we'll do the devotional. But we're also, once a month, talking about discipling. And we're talking about what we, our, our initiative, which is called Church Lead, and we're discipling. And Church Lead is about developing disciple-making disciples. Now, that sounds like a mouthful. God calls us to be disciples, go and make disciples. We are to be a disciple, and we are to go and make disciples. Why? Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, that we are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You and I are here so that we can build up the body of Christ, so it can be built up, so it can be built up, because we are only one generation away from extinction when it comes to this. And the church has been around for 2,000 plus years, and it's gonna be around for far more. So what is a disciple? A disciple is a devoted follower of Jesus. Pretty simple, that's all it is. It's a devoted follower of Jesus. Someone, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about I'm devoted to work. I'm devoted to my job. Well, you should be very interested in your job. You should be very interested in your work, but you should be devoted to God. That's where our devotion should be. That's where our worship should be to God. We should, I'm very engaged in work. I do a lot of things about work. I think it's very important, and that's what City Lead is about, but we also need to make disciples. So there's five areas we do this in. The first is, and I believe a disciple in our church believes a disciple is in these five areas. The first is loving and sharing Jesus. Do you love and share Jesus? And we talked about this two months ago, so I'm not gonna talk about today. Uh, love and share Jesus. The second is our calling, is understand that we have a calling by God and how to live out that calling. The third is about character. It's growing in your character, and that's what we're gonna talk about today, is what does it mean to have good character? We'll come back to that. Number four is living in community. You can be a Christian and not have a community. You can follow Jesus by yourself, but God has called us to come together and follow him in community. And we'll talk about that in the next month, in April. And then the final one is using the gifts God has given you. God has given all of us, followers of Jesus Christ, certain gifts, and we're to use them. So these five, and what we're doing each month is in our groups, if you're not in a group, if you go, oh, I'm not in a group, or I'm only here for the winter, or I'm only here for three or four weeks, come on Wednesday night. There's a men's group that meets right here in the lobby and around the lobby, and there's a women's group that meets across the street in our dining room. So if you have no group you're in, start there, and then you can work in others. If you come to this church, there are, I think there are about 60 groups, actually, maybe a few more, 60 groups. There's a lot you could pick from. But if you don't know where to go, start on a Wednesday night, and this month we're gonna be going through what it means to have character. So let's talk about character. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter five, verse one to five, verses one to five. And we're gonna look at that in just a minute. But before we do, 
I want to give an idea of where does character, our personal activity, our character, we're talking about personally now, where does it fit in the big picture of all this? Why are we even talking about this? So can I do this? And I want to look at the major themes of the Bible just for a minute. You know, the Bible has a lot in it. There's 66 books. There's all kind of things you are to do and not to do, and there's great stories. But there's also themes in the Bible. So I want to talk about these themes, if I can. I want to pretend this uh, platform here is the length of the Bible. So right here, theme number one is the fall. The fact that we are all sinners. Genesis chapter three says we have all sinned. And it gives a story. The story is the story in the Garden of Eden and the fall of Adam and Eve. We know that story. It's in Genesis chapter three. If you've never studied it, go to Genesis chapter three. It's also theologically spoken in the book of Romans, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. It's a reality. There are people in this world who don't believe they are sinners. I can't figure that one out. We have all fallen short. We are sinners. In a theological word, it's called the fall. And when you were born, you were born in sin. We live in sin, and that is a reality of the Scripture. But second major theme is redemption. Redemption. God changed this. And let me read Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 15 to 20. You don't need to go there. Just write it down. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." That is a long theological statement that is this. At Easter, when Jesus died on the cross after living a perfect life and then three days later rose from the dead, he redeemed us. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, the fall, the spiritual fall is broken and we have been redeemed. Now, Peter Hughes gave a great statement about this because we think of this wrong. Can I share just a statement? He says, redemption is not adding value to something that is worthless. Let me repeat that. Redemption is not adding value to something that is worthless. We think that when we are sinners, we are worthless. You know, we have this poverty mentality when it comes to our relationship to God. We are in sin, we've caused problems, but we are not worthless. Jesus, the second half says, but restoring value to something that is priceless. You see, people, you and I are priceless because Jesus Christ did not die for something that was worthless. He redeemed us. In other words, 
He took us who have great value that have been marred by sin and restored us, or if I can use the theological term, redeemed us. Do you see that? We are priceless. The sinner is priceless. The person, your grandchild who is stuck on drugs is priceless. Your wife who abandoned you is priceless. Your parents who didn't treat you well when you were growing up are priceless. Those older people that we're gonna talk about to how to help them in two weeks, they're priceless because Jesus didn't die for the rocks. Jesus didn't die for the stones. Jesus died for people because he wanted to redeem that which was priceless but had been marred. That's what we believe. So these two mega or meta themes are there. So you have the fall, and then you have this incredible redemption, and we'll talk about that in a moment again. And people sometimes stop here and go, this is the Bible. Can I tell you, that's not the whole Bible. Let's go. There's something that occurred before the fall. So you gotta go all the way back here, and that's creation. Creation, we have to have creation. You cannot have redemption, the new Adam, unless you had the old Adam. Now, here's an interesting thing. This is important. You go, well, is creation really important, or could we, could we just have evolved? Let's just evolve our way here, okay, or whatever the new thing is. I go, no. Now, we can disagree if it was six days or six part of days or 6,000 days. I'm not going to argue that right now. But we have to realize there was a special creation that occurred. That we were not here, and then we now were here. There was a time when we were not here, and a time we were here. That's called creation. Why is this important? A few years ago, uh, we we were on a trip. I guess I'm always on trips. And um, we were in Nepal. It was about 15, 18 years ago, and we took some college students, some high school students, a couple fathers. This was before we were pastor. I go, let's go to Nepal and take all our kids with us. So we took a bunch of kids with us and had a great time and saw what God's doing in the highest nation in the world. It was a fantastic time. And so our ministry partner said, why don't we stop? We were going to another part. We're going to pass by this college, a Hindu college. And he goes, I know a a Christian in this Hindu college, one Christian out of the whole university, he goes, why don't we stop and we plan this weeks ahead, and he did, and I was gonna debate the president of the college on creation, on origins, not creation, on origins, the Hindu origin versus the Christian origin. Okay, so I'm like, you got 1,000 or 2,000 Hindus there and us, eight high schoolers, college students, and three fathers. And we were gonna have a debate. So it turned out in Nepal, they were having some uprisings. The Maoists, which is a Chinese version of Marxist, which is a version of communism, was coming in, and there was all kinds of unrest and fights. And this university was at the breeding ground of the unrest. You know, a lot of unrest starts in colleges. This college was kind of ground zero for the unrest in the country. And the ministry partner, we got there, and the one Christian said, we can't do this. It's just too much problems. So he said, let's change the subject to world peace. 
world peace. I said, thank you, God. Because do you know our creation story is about world peace? We think world peace is something that the one world government wants to do. No, world peace is about Jesus. Why? Because God created us in shalom, in peace. You see, every other creation story comes out of chaos. Our creation story comes out of goodness. And it comes out of God creating us in his image so that we can have shalom, peace with God. It is a totally different story. Now you can argue evolution versus Hinduism versus Buddhist version versus Islamic version, all you want. But our story is different. You may not believe it, you may not agree with it, but it is a different story. It is a story that God created people and created a world to put those people in so that God could have relationship with these people in peace. And the peace was broken. And that's why the fall. Do you see it? These are the mega themes. If you throw creation, if you throw Genesis 1 and 2 out of the Bible, you have no need for Easter. Throw Easter out. You have no need for the book of Romans. Just chuck it out. You can keep Psalms and you can keep Proverbs, but you got to throw out Romans, Galatians, Colossians, and Ephesians. Just throw the books out because it only makes sense because of the creation and the fall. Do you see that? So we have three themes in the Bible, creation, fall, redemption. But there's one more theme in the Bible. It's called restoration. At the end of the day in Revelation 21 and 22, you know what's gonna happen in Revelation 21 and 22? A lot of things, but two main things are gonna happen. One is that the fall is going away. The curse is going away. The curse was pain, sorrow, tears, and death. Pain, sorrow, tears, and death. Genesis chapter 21 says there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, and death will be no more. And then creation is going to be recreated because the world is gonna be destroyed, right? The world is gonna be destroyed and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem to be the capital. The world, this is interesting. The world started in a garden and is gonna end in a city. There's a whole theology behind that that I won't go into. God loves the city. Anyway, that's what's gonna happen. So we have creation, we have fall, we have redemption, we have restoration. Four themes. But there's a fifth theme. And the fifth theme is what happens between redemption and restoration. And that's where you and I live today. And that's called, if I can just use a one word, renewal. And it's found all throughout the Bible, but let's look at Romans 5, 1 through 5. Can we do it? And that's, we're right here. Not talking about creation, not talking about fall. We will talk about redemption that gets us to the restoration. And we are here at some point right here on earth. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's redemption, we have peace with God. Isn't that what he wanted us to have back a creation that was lost? 
peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope and the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So let's talk about it. We have been justified by faith. Three things happen here. Number one, we get peace with God. Number two, we get access to his grace. It says there in verse two, access into his grace. A lot of the songs we sing are about amazing what? Grace. God gives us his grace. I don't know how you've been, but uh, Elizabeth and I have been through a lot of problems in our life and a lot of suffering in our life and a lot of enduring we need to do. We could not have done it without God's grace. We have access to God's grace. Now, the, the interesting thing about access is this. If you don't need God's grace today, you don't need to access it. You might need this much grace, and I might need this much grace. So here's the interesting thing. When Elizabeth and I were going through kind of our dark night of the soul, which I won't describe or I'll start crying and we'll get off the subject, but we had a dark night of the soul. Do you know God's grace that was on us this much? And people would come to us and go, we couldn't do what you're doing. And you know what I would tell them? You're right, you can't do what we're doing because you don't have this much of God's grace on top of your head right now. When you need this much of God's grace, God's grace, is, he's gonna give it to you. You have access to, access means you get it. It doesn't mean you have this much all the time. You might only need this much grace today. Things are going well, God gives you a little grace, you do it. I know that sounds theologically flippant, but can I tell you, God's not just throwing out his grace everywhere. He, I tell you, you need grace, pray for it. God's gonna give it to you. You're having a hard time in your life. You're having relationship issues in your life. Pray for God's grace. You have access to it. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and have been justified, you have peace with God and he'll give you his grace. And then what's the third thing? He says he will allow you to rejoice in hope. There's a rejoicing in hope that comes. Isn't that incredible? So you get peace with God, access to his grace, and you get to rejoice in hope. Now, it's not all a bed of roses because they're suffering. They're suffering. Has anybody ever suffered? Raise your hand, if you have. Okay, you have, why? Because you are a product of the fall. And the fall has pain, sorrow, tears, None of us have experienced the fourth one, but we all will experience the fourth one. And some of you are walking through that with other people. Some of us won't make it through the week. Some of us will live for another 30, 40, 50, 60 years. I don't know. But all of us have had pain, sorrow, and tears. We have suffering. And what does it say here? This is important. Verse three, not only that, but we rejoice. So we rejoice in our hope. 
And here, what is the hope? The hope is the coming back of Jesus. The hope is the restoration of what's gonna happen. We've been justified by faith, and we have hope in the future which causes us to rejoice. But while we're on this earth, there will be suffering. People go, hey, you become a Christian, no suffering. I'm sorry. I love all my prosperity gospel friends. I love high-end Pentecostals who love, I love them. They're fabulous people, but they're wrong on this one. Not everything is prosperity. Not everything's gonna end well in terms of on this earth. It'll end well in the restoration, but there is suffering. Our son did die in our arms. And I had a person say, you didn't pray hard enough. You know what that does to you? That's, that's tantamount to destroying you. But I realize it's not about me, it's about him. And God numbered our son's days, God numbered our days. I didn't number them. I wish I had, because I would have swapped them. But out of suffering comes endurance. It leads to endurance. And then it says, endurance leads or produces character. That's our subject today, character. And that's what we're gonna be talking about all month in these 60 groups, so I want you to understand that. And I I believe, Bill, you did that one, didn't you, Bill? Bill uh, Hood III is leading that study for the month for all of us in our small groups. And then it goes, and character produces hope. We're back to hope. So there's this suffering, there's this endurance, there's this character, there's this hope. It's an amazing thing. This is the theme of the Bible. And this is beautiful. Hope does not put us to shame. There are things you have done in your life that are shameful. I get that. But God says, I'm stripping it. I'm cleaning it. I'm taking it down back to the wood. I'm taking off the bad varnish. I'm doing it. And what happens? Your hope does not put us to shame. Because why? This is key. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's the beautiful thing. It's like a pouring, a rain of God's love on our lives. I don't know where you are. You may be sitting in the fall and don't know Jesus. God's love is here. You may have been redeemed and just not feeling very very, uh, victorious in your Christian life. God's love is over you through his Holy Spirit. You may be suffering. You're trying to endure it. You're trying to build good character. You're trying to hope, and hope's not there. God's love is there because God's love is with us. And because of his love, and how does his love come? It's, what does it say? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. This is an incredible Trinitarian statement, this chapter five, verses one to five. We have peace with God because we've been justified by Jesus and the love of God comes to us by the Holy Spirit. Is there anything better than that? People go, oh, we don't need Jesus, we only need God. No, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We are Trinitarians. We're not Unitarians just believing in some awesome God up there. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, 
How does character work? I'm going to give you two little things. One you've heard me do before and another one I'm going to do new. So as we're looking at this, let's look at this. Put the next slide up. Character. Think of character qualities. I want every one of you to think of a character quality. Trust, love, forgiveness, generosity, mercy, grace, any character quality you would like to have. Do you have one in your mind? Just anyone. Name anyone you want. Put it in your mind. Just think about it. Now, how do we know that's a good character quality? Lying is a character quality. Pride is a character quality. Okay, so humility is a character quality. How do we know it's good or not good? Because we need to find out what God says about the character quality. That is the first thing. What is, that's why we have the Bible. God tells us about these, how we should live. What are the good character qualities we should have? Love, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness, self-control, right? All these kind of good character qualities. God says these are good. Then it comes to us, and there's three parts to this. How do I think about that character quality? How do I feel my emotions about that character quality? And what am I doing about that character quality? It's thinking, feeling, doing. Because here's the thing, it all matters. I could pull out a $20 bill and give it to a person in need. Is that good? Yes. Okay, why? Because that's a good thing to do. But I'm doing it out of pride. It's not a good thing anymore, is it? Because I want you to think good of me as I gave the 20 bucks to that lady in need. See it? I want you to think good of me, that's okay. I did the good deed, so the thinking and the good deed are good, but my heart was bad. Because I want you, I did it out of pride. There's a big word for this called ego philanthropy. It's why in hospitals there are no round corners so we can put everybody's name who donates. It's only flat surfaces at a hospital so you can put names, donated by, room by, piece of equipment by. I'm not against that. God's calling us to think correctly about that character quality, to emote, to have your emotions correct, your pride versus humility side of all that correct, and then actually do it. So it's not enough to go, you know, we need to help the poor. I really want to help the poor. I have an emotion. I really, I really feel for the poor. And then I do nothing about it, Right? So I got the good thinking, I got the good feelings, and I don't do anything about it. You see, it's all three, because God said we need to help the poor. Or have mercy or whatever, truthfulness. I think it's good to tell the truth. I feel good about telling the truth, and then I don't tell the truth. You know, you gotta have all three. And that's important, so think about it. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I always misquote it, because it's like my favorite verse, and I misquote it, but it says, do you know Proverbs 3, 5? It says, trust in the Lord. Stop. That's the premise of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord, and he will direct your paths. That's what it says. Trust it, but what does it say in between? Somebody quote it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord, he will direct your paths. But how do you do it? With your heart, with your mind, 
and with your ways you're doing. You see that? It's all three. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, all those things. You see it everywhere, right? All of three are important. Now, how do we do it? Can I give you four thoughts here? I shared this at City Lead. So if you were at City Lead, you heard this. Think of your home for a minute as we think about this, how to make good character decisions. In your home, you have bathrooms. And in your bathrooms, the door to the bathroom has two hinges on it because it's a light door, usually a hollow core door. It's in the back of the house. It's a, right, you have two hinges. You go to the front door of your house, it's a solid core door. There are three hinges. But you go to a large door, there are four hinges. Bathroom door two, your front door three, but a large door four. Good character requires all four hinges. Can I give you what the four hinges are? These, there's probably more, but here are four hinges. Number one, desire. You have got to desire to do what is right. If you don't desire it, if there's not a desire to do it, then, you know, mom's going to tell you, dad's going to tell you, your boss is going to tell you, your wife or husband's going to tell you, societal norms are going to tell you, the church is going to tell you. But if you don't have a desire inside, it's got to come from in here. You've got to have a desire to do it. Doesn't mean we do it always right. Doesn't mean we don't have pride or we don't have arrogance from time to time. But do you have the desire for humility? Do you have the desire for generosity? Some people go, I just don't want to be generous. At least you're honest. You don't have the desire. People go, why should I be, this is the big one, why should I be generous? I'm going, well, I, I could, come with me, I'll tell you for hours why you should be generous. You have to have the desire. Number two. Wisdom, wisdom, understanding what is the right thing to do. Here it is, three words around wisdom. There's information. There is so much information around everything. You know, you can kind of have this head knowledge of all the information. Then you move the information. The next part is knowledge. You kind of move from information to knowledge. You Google humility and you're gonna get 100 verses in the Bible, that's information. But then you start going, wow, God is really into humility. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up, a theme in the Bible. And you go, wow, this is knowledge. But then you gotta move to wisdom. Wisdom is taking the knowledge you have and doing the right thing with it. Taking the knowledge you have and doing the right thing with them, that's wisdom. Sometimes. Proverbs tells us in the counsel of many is wisdom. Sometimes you need other people's help. That's why we do groups. We do life together. That's the importance of community. And we'll talk about that next month. So you have desire, you have wisdom. Number three, courage. Courage. This is important. I have a friend. Um, I won't name him. You'll, it, those of you who know would know because this story was in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. But one of the, for those who aren't aware, one of the largest business frauds in the history of the United States was perpetrated in Boca Raton about 20 years ago. At that time, I think it was $11 billion. There's been larger ones since. And um, it was done by a man, two men, but one man in particular who lived here in Boca. He ended up going to jail. When he was in jail, he... He found Jesus, sorry, Jesus found him in jail. He became a believer in jail. 
in prison. Got out of prison. I didn't meet him before. I met him after. We became friends. And he told me this. He said, I perpetrated the largest fraud in business history because I didn't have the courage for 90 seconds. 90 seconds. The offer came to him. The opportunity came to him. And it was a 90, 90, that's a minute and a half, second, 90-second decision. If he had had the courage for 91 seconds, it wouldn't have happened. Now, we think courage, you got to have courage every moment of the day. You don't. you got to have courage when the fire is in front of you. When the lion's teeth are in front of you, you've got to have courage. You've got to have desire and wisdom all the time, but the courage comes when the problem occurs. And can I tell you the easiest way to do this? Here's an easy way to do it. Make the decision ahead of time. Make your decisions ahead of time. Most categorical sins can be decided ahead of time. If he had decided ahead of time that he was never going to take a bribe, which was then perpetrated to a fraud and then perpetrated into all this problem, he would have said, no, I won't do it, and moved on. And it would have been that fast. It wouldn't have taken him 90 seconds to make the mistake. He would have said it in 10 seconds. No, he hadn't made a decision. So you need courage. God gives us courage. Good character people have courage. And then finally, the fourth, self-control. It's the discipline to do it. You can have all the desire and all the wisdom and all the courage and then not do it. You've got to have the self-control. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. You need self-control to do it. Why? Can I give you the big why to all of this? And I shared this story years ago, and some of you have heard it. It's one of my favorite stories. It's so true. It's a friend of ours, um, an older lady uh, who, when I was in real estate, she wanted to sell her home. And so she called me up. I sold homes back then. I was young. I was probably 25 years old. I was a, a realtor. I was selling homes. She said, Bill, come on over and appraise my home. I did. And I sat down in the living room to give her the value of the home. And as I sat in the chair, she was in a couch there was a crack, a little hairline crack on the wall behind her. And I said, Mrs. Wilson, very elderly lady, I said, Mrs. Wilson, tell me about the crack. And she turned around and said, what crack? She couldn't see it. What crack? I said, okay. She said, I'll be ready in about three months to sell my house. And so I went back three months later, kind of upped the appraisal and fixed it to what the market was doing and sat back down in the living room in the same chair, she's on the same couch. And that crack had gone a half an inch. Now, you say, what's a half an inch? Ask an engineer what a half an inch is. It's a lot. And so I said, Mrs. Wilson, tell me about the crack. And she turned and said, what crack? She couldn't see it. You know, elderly. So I got an engineer in there. He said, this house is built fantastic. There's no reason why it's moving. Don't worry about it. I said, I was there three months ago and it was hairline. It's a 50-year-old home, not brand new, 50-year-old home. Well-built, beautiful, huge, gardens were great. Then I got a roofer in and I said, tell me, there's something wrong, the weight of the roof, whatever. The roofer said, this roof is perfect. The rafters, the trusses, the systems are great. 
I said, well, something's causing that. So I got a soil guy in. And they, he brought an auger, a handheld auger. It's like a T-bar with a corkscrew, and they screw it into the ground to see the soils, you know, about five feet high. So we go up against the wall of which this crack was near, and he starts going through, and the sod's this thick, so he's screwing through the sod, and all of a sudden, the auger drops out of his hands and goes all the way to the ground. So we jump back. I'm big enough to know I'm not to stand near grass that has nothing underneath it. So we crawled back, pulled the grass back, looked underneath, got a flashlight, and there was nothing under the house. The house was floating on little edges way on the other side of the house. It was floating. So we got the engineers back. I said, what are we gonna do? Oh, he said, it's easy. He said, we're gonna back up a concrete truck put a pump to it, put a hose, and we're going to put a foundation under there that's gonna be that this house isn't gonna move for the rest of the world. I mean, it's five feet deep, you know, 40 feet by 80 feet. They just pumped and pumped and pumped and pumped and pumped. And I said, what would have happened had we not done this? I said, the house is 50 years old, 50 at that point. He goes, it would have been down in three months, down and no one knew it. You see, character is what you don't see. Lack of character is what you don't see. You gotta build underneath the grass. You gotta build underneath your life. You gotta have the desire, the wisdom, the courage, the self-control. You gotta know what God says you got to think what God says. you got to feel what God says. you got to do what God says. That's what Christian character is. And I believe that if the thousand people in this room and listened to us all acted like Christians, this town, this city, and this state would not be the same. It doesn't take a lot of people to change things. Tim Keller says it takes about 10% to change a city. We can do it if we just act what God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.